Victoria Gersman has an unusual love for culture and gets to work professionally with this as head of Canopy Insights North American arm. She holds a PhD in culture and media and has gathered experience in US, UK and Japan. Victoria has a special talent for connecting the dots when it comes to reading and understanding the behavior of our society. She sees the social signs for future trends before any of us and have made it her living to help global brands unpack the cultural drivers of consumer behavior. In this episode, she gives us a lesson in what it means to work with semiotics and cultural insights and provides an understanding for some of the trends most of us might not have considered yet. Right, on with the show. From Studio Roo, I'm Yessie Fram, and this is Bosses for Breakfast, the show where I talk with entrepreneurs, creatives, and inspiring visionaries about their successes and their failures around advertising and what they're bringing forward today. Hey, Victoria. Hey. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, great. Great to see you. First question first. It is a breakfast show. <laughs> do, you, do you have a breakfast routine and how do you get up in the morning? Yeah, so I, I considered maybe coming up with a nice answer to this, but the first thing I do in the morning is look at my phone. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest about that. So we work um, at Canopy across a whole bunch of time zones. So there's always stuff happening overnight that I can't help myself from looking at first thing in the morning. So I wake up, I roll over, I look at my phone, and then eventually I get out of bed cup of tea, yogurt with granola and chia seeds every day. Yeah. And then kind of get on with things. I think it's a good start, but it's just <laughs> as horrible as the rest of us. So, yeah. Well, at least I don't feel bad anymore. I know. I know. I, I always like to pretend that I'm not looking at my phone first thing, but that would be an outright lie. <laughs> <laughs> We're all doing it, right? Yeah, we are. <laughs> just not telling the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Give me a little bit of insight into who are you, what's your career background, and uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. So I am originally from Miami, Florida, born and raised. I moved first to um, New York when I was 17 to go to university there. And then I've kind of been all over the place. So I studied anthropology and East Asian languages at Columbia moved to Japan for a year after uni to teach English and put off real life. And then eventually um, moved back to New York, started working in media at a media agency, and then kind of got a little frustrated with agency life and the way things work um, and kind of lack of interrogation into why things happen the way they do. So I left and went to do a master's at the University of Chicago, and that was a social science research master. So I really wanted at that point to start to dig into a deeper research background and understand why people are doing the things they do. And then after doing the master's, I moved to London, um, again, to work at media agencies, but in a slightly different role, and once again, got a, a bit frustrated. Um, so left, went to do a PhD that was was at the University of Nottingham, and that was in media and culture. And while I was doing my PhD, I discovered Canopy, um, Canopy Insight. And um, Canopy actually turned out to be the perfect marriage of the academic stuff that I really, really liked, but found frustrating for different reasons, um, kind of because of lack of practical applications versus the agency work I'd been doing, which I really liked because of the excitement, doing something new all the time. Mm. But I often felt didn't have enough, uh, I suppose, self-awareness, if I can say that. What Canopy does is kind of 
put those two things together. So academic methods for commercial application. And it's the type of thing that I always, I guess, deep down knew I wanted to do, but didn't know that it existed. Mm -hmm. So when I found Canopy, it was like putting your keys down on the table at the end of a long day. Um, Just felt really comfortable, felt like home. And yeah, I've been with Canopy now about two years and have never looked back. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about Canopy. What is <laughs> what is it about? Sure. So we are a cultural insight and innovation consultancy and what that actually means. <laughs> we help brands answer questions about what's happening in culture and what it means for them. So um when I say it's this really nice marriage of kind of academic methods and commercial application, we use semiotics as an applied method to help brands unpack the cultures that they exist within, help them understand different cultural questions that relate to basically the the work that they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So this can be anything from understanding the culture of a specific um, demographic group in a single country, or it can be about understanding kind of five different cultures and how they work and what this means for a brand that is maybe trying to produce a shampoo that will work globally mm. or across five different markets. And they need to understand what does hair care mean in all these places? What are the rituals and customs that people follow? And how is this all changing? So that's a really important part of what we do at Canopy is sort of predict big changes in culture that will impact um, brand behavior and what they need to do. Mm. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So can you maybe elaborate a little bit more about your like worth methodologies around this and how does it work on day-to-day level? Yeah, definitely. So everything that we do is rooted in semiotics as a method Mm -hmm. and that's where kind of the academic background really comes into play. So semiotics is a method, it's been around for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. The really practical applications of semiotics I would say are still in development and that's one of the really amazing things um, about being at Canopy. So with semiotics, what we're always looking to do is identify signs and symbols in culture and then understand specifically what they mean in a given cultural context and therefore what that means for for brands and organizations who want to be relevant in different places. So there is kind of a, a process when you're doing semiotics. You start by first understanding the research question that you want to answer. So you can choose kind of any abstract noun that you want and we can dig into it using semiotics. Do you want to give me a, an abstract noun? An abstract noun. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> okay. So um, I always just choose something that's in yeah, the room. Just something, yeah. yeah. But let's say, um, I don't know, audio recording. Audio recording. Uh, yeah. yeah could Good be, one. It could be something. Thank you. Um, it's actually, we're actually doing a project about podcasts right now. Are you? We oh, just scary. kicked off. So I know. <laughs> no, it's super new. So, um, but it's, it's cool to I be doing see this that. today. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. So, I mean, let's use that as an example. Why not? So, let's say we're trying to understand what podcasts mean in different cultural context, um, we would need to understand all the kind of signs, symbols and signifiers around something like curated audio, commuting, listening on the go, mm-hmm. all of these topics that are linked to people's behaviors in that space. Mm-hmm. And then it's a matter of narrowing down the correct cultural spaces to investigate. So we 
always like to do actual immersion in cultural spaces. So for something like audio, that would mean visiting, obviously, like live broadcast environments, any other kind of maker spaces, training programs, and just seeing what's around people in these spaces. So we're always looking to identify the signs that impact people. And a sign um, in semiotics is anything that you can experience with one of your senses. Mm. So something that you can see, hear, touch, taste, smell. Any single one of those is a sign. And we start to look for kind of groups of signs to show us patterns that are happening in culture. And a group of signs in semiotics is called a signifier. And a group of signifiers together is called a code. So this is how we gather evidence and start to look for patterns, kind of building up little groups of evidence that turn into a big cultural story. And this is where we can start to see what's happening now and how that's changing Mm. by seeing the codes that exist in a dominant sense. So those are things that are really heavily present around people in sort of a mainstream way. And then the more emergent codes, those are the kind of more niche breakthrough things happening in culture that not everybody might be aware of just yet, but they're happening in enough of a way that we can say this is something important, something that's changing. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're always looking for these big cultural shifts And we do that using the semiotic method. So it's a very cool method because it allows us to see big shifting movements in culture that Mm -hmm. consumers can't necessarily describe because it's not on their awareness yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that way, it's a very, very cool predictive method as well. Yeah. Do you have Mm -hmm. any examples of, in a branding perspective, how you discovered a trend and then if you go in and look at we always talk about different touch points in in branding and marketing and how you then start unfolding things like how would you then take that and convert it into other good campaign or maybe a rebrand or mm-hmm. yeah sure so i think a really good example um, we've been working a lot recently on understanding the lives of millennial women in different markets it's a really hot topic of course and it's so interesting because the way millennial women's lives look can be so different depending on where you live. So we've looked a lot at um, kind of things that are shifting in culture in different places in Asia, as well as different places in Europe and North America. And some of the things that we're finding is, for example, body inclusivity Mm -hmm. as a concept has totally different meanings depending on where you are. I think it can be quite for us here in kind of a UK context, it's it's already pretty dominant. You know, seeing different types of bodies represented feels quite commonplace, although new. But if you go to, for example, a market like China, that is really not necessarily happening there yet. So conversely, there's kind of new freedoms for women in China to actually show off their bodies in a way that is is quite new as a cultural movement, but for us would feel almost a bit retrograde Mm. simply because now we're talking about the freedom to do whatever you want with your body. But it is actually the same underlying cultural movement, kind of increased freedom, but the different cultural context sees that playing out in a different way. Mm -hmm. So for example, any brands who want to be kind of resonant with millennial women, it would be really important to be aware of the fact that body inclusivity is going to have totally different meanings depending on what culture you're looking at Mm -hmm. and what kinds of freedoms we're seeing for women in different places. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Could you... Give some examples of real work and some of the results they've seen um, Mm -hmm. by going down this methodology. Yeah, absolutely. So 
Most of our work is pretty confidential, just because yeah. we get brought on. Of course, um, we <laughs> get tell me all in. about it. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that. So I'll, I'll talk about something a bit vaguely. Yeah, it's、um, okay. But of course, things happening in culture don't belong to anyone. So、yeah. that's the benefit. <laughs>、um, so recently, earlier this year, we were working with a、um, kind of big financial services company. And they internally had this idea,、um, and they're correct that retirement, as a concept, is on its way out culturally.、Mm. And that could be either kind of for the depressing reason that people can't afford to retire, or the more optimistic reason that people are more fulfilled by their jobs,、um, maybe don't want to retire but want to pivot and do something else. So, you know, there's there's multiple different reasons, and their research had shown that in the different markets where they operate, people are retiring less and less. One thing that we were asked to do for them was to understand what products they should be offering, how they should be talking about them, what they want to communicate in this changing world where retirement is on the way out. But we knew from the type of work that we do that you can't necessarily do research about something that's fading. So we needed to change the question, and what we ended up looking into was how aging as a concept is changing culturally in a few different key markets. So、um, some in Asia, some in Europe, and it was a really interesting project because we found、um, that the meaning of aging is kind of really different depending on where you are. But there are some kind of core similarities across all markets that they were able to use to essentially reframe how they talk about getting older and the opportunities that it brings. And with the results of the cultural analysis, they were able to. They're still working through it, but they were able to determine what are the new products that they'll offer. So instead of retirement funds, what will it be instead? And then how will they communicate around that? What kind of people should they be using? So one thing that we found was that. Of course, retirement products are often use kind of older people in the messaging, but people need to be thinking about this much earlier. So, using slightly younger people was kind of a key insight from that. So, it was quite a cool project,、um, mm. just because it's something that I think we all have a sense is is changing in culture, and to be able to actually drill down and do analysis around what does it mean now to get older? What are you doing if you're not retiring? Just very, very cool project. Yeah, yeah, yeah、mm-hmm. that's very. Very cool. <laughs> so, if you look at semiotics and cultural analysis as a、um, tool for gathering insights, one could say that data is another way of going about getting a lot of insight. And there's also like usual market research, which we, do, we will use strategies in, in, in marketing. How do you think it differentiates? And are there? Do you use any kind of similar? Ways of like approaching a, a project, like you do if you used any of the other approaches. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. no, it makes sense. Definitely makes sense. And I really like this question because, well, first thing I have to say is semiotics still relies on data, but the data is cultural、mm. data, so cultural signs. But absolutely, data is such a hot. Buzzword across、mm. everything right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do anything without it, right? No,、yeah. <laughs> which you know, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so、um, the semiotic cultural analysis that we do actually plays really, really nicely alongside other forms of research.、Mm. Often we do kind of cultural landscaping that then becomes the ammunition for either a survey, a focus group. Or can help guide the types of questions to ask the data. So one thing about data is the answers you get completely depend on the question you ask, of course.、Mm-hmm. But you can make data tell any story you want.、Mm-hmm. Um, so having the right questions 
to unpack the right things in data is super, super important. Mm -hmm. And it's one area where, you know, you really can't take bottomless data, which is what we're looking at now, Mm -hmm. and just start to pull out insights. There needs to be some guiding starting points. Mm -hmm. So doing a cultural insight piece in advance is super helpful because essentially when we wrap a project, we have kind of key statements that can be used to guide any sort of further research. They also Mm -hmm. stand alone as recommendations, but we have found that doing semiotic cultural insight before, um, for example, doing some queries of a data pool or running a survey means that the outcomes of that are much more useful um, Mm. because it's not such a shot in the dark, I suppose. Mm. Um, I'm making data sound really bad. I like data too. (laughs) It feels a bit more human, what you do, than data sounds really cold. Well, exactly. I feel like you get that relationship in in your work. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing is, um, like, we... We want to basically use data as well in a way that's responsible and useful for cultural research. So we've recently launched um, an AI platform that we've developed with a machine learning specialist Mm -hmm. at University of Nottingham. And Mm -hmm. this... (laughs) This platform lets us use search data to automate some steps of the semiotic cultural mm. insight process. So this is very much, you know, we know that uh, it's part of our job to know what's happening mm. um, as well. And so like having some uses of data is is really, really important for us. So this tool is called Digby, and we're very excited about it. But it, it runs off of search data, um, which we love because it's what people do versus what they say they mm. do. So it allows us to start with a very broad cultural query, so something like luxury, audio recording, commuting, naturalness, any kind of any topic you want, we can plug a topic like that into this platform. And we basically can pull out as many insights as you can from search data. There are limits, of course, but let's say, for example, we're working with a client that's truly global and mm-hmm. they really need to start to narrow down markets to dig into for a project. We can help them see the hotspots globally. Of course, China is a problem with search data. <laughs> we're working with that now. Yeah. But we can take a topic like um, electric vehicles and just see what are the countries where that is most talked about, where the interest is highest. Mm-hmm. Um, and often that reveals kind of unexpected places. Mm-hmm. So we can help guide research in that way. We can also zoom in. So once we have countries that we're focusing on, we can use this tool to start to zoom in and see city level data as well. Mm-hmm. So for us, when we want to do in market immersion to gather our cultural data, knowing which cities are kind of hottest for a certain mm-hmm. topic is really, really helpful. Yeah, yeah. And then the final thing, it well, actually, there's many more uses, but um, <laughs> it gives us kind of all the related topics as well. Yeah. Um, and it's doing this, it's translating and transliterating globally. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a really quick way to start to get some top-line cultural insights from search data. There's a point at which what we do becomes very, very kind of labor-intensive again, and you need people to actually go do the research. (laughs) But we've been able to streamline the project planning process. And then we can also use Digby to verify our findings at the end. Mm. So we can see change over time in interest around a topic. So for example, if we're recommending that electric vehicles are the next big thing, Mm. which doesn't seem like too much of a (laughs) weird claim now, but um, would have been a year ago. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So we can actually see on a country by country or even city by city, basis, whether there has been a steady uptick in interest, whether it's on the decline, and we can do kind of a global comparison really quickly. So it's very, very helpful, this tool for basically the first step of a project and the last step of a project, Mm. everything in between. You still need kind of a person to do it. But for us, it's really helpful. So 
data absolutely has a place for us as well. Yeah. Um, so we're part of the data evangelist crew now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you mentioned that it's really, it's good for kind of scraping the top and then you like, uh, you get started. But you also mentioned that there's the, a difference between what people think they see and then what the data might actually mm. show that they see. So you could say that has to do with um, perception of things or or maybe even perception of yourself and how you would like to see things. Um, do you mitigate for that kind of bias <laughs> when you in your work? Well, part of the thing that makes semiotics so cool is that you don't have to talk to consumers at all. In fact, consumers are sometimes a bit of a distraction. <laughs> um, that sounds really bad. But what I mean by that is because we are gathering evidence about everything that's surrounding consumers, mm. the assumption is that people are influenced by their daily lived environment, which is absolutely true. So let's say you and I had the same commute to work every mm. day. We're seeing all the same ads on the tube. We're seeing you know all the same cafes and stuff around us. Mm. We're going to be impacted by that. Absolutely. So if I was doing a research project about lunchtime, rather than talk to 100 people who all work in the city, I could just look at all the cafes around them and mm. start to understand how that would impact their feelings about lunch. Mm. So to answer your question, we kind of everything that we're doing with semiotics is mitigating for personal mm. bias or kind of, um, I always say that when um, in consumer research, consumers always really, really want to be helpful. So mm. we'll answer questions, we'll participate <laughs> in focus groups, we'll give responses. But sometimes it's really hard to actually give a, a true, honest response about mm. something that it, that you haven't really thought about or that you had no reason to formulate a response to. And so often, you know, it, let's say we're doing a project about milk in a focus group, everybody there is going to have really strong feelings about milk that probably when they go home at the end of the day, it wouldn't really ring true. So in this way, doing semiotic research, doing cultural insight research means that you don't have to rely on these responses from consumers. Instead, you're unpacking their environment to kind of cut to the background of why they're doing what they're doing, why they think the way they do and feel the way they do. So it's really great for mitigating for that bias because it doesn't rely on asking consumers to answer questions that might be difficult to answer. Mm. Makes sense. So just kind of a wrap up question, but how do you see semiotics working in future? And also an interesting question, are there any, <laughs> or I think at least, are there any trends in society which mm -hmm. we should be more aware about, but, but maybe not get a lot of attention? I know there's all the, the gender talks mm -hmm. and all the talks about women, but are there other things? So in terms of how semiotics is changing and future applications, so semiotics is getting more attention than it has before as a method which is great. I think it's also, it's really important to understand how it fits in with other methodologies though. So for us, we always want to use semiotics in this applied way where we're making, kind of painting big pictures about culture and seeing the big shifts. It's very hard to do semiotics in a vacuum. So for example, just looking at a, a still image and unpacking what you see there mm. and then making broad sweeping statements. Sometimes it's used that way, but for us, we really prefer to do the the full go into market, mm. understand the entire environment. The long-term perspective. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But no, I think semantics is getting more attention and, and that's wonderful. One thing that we're really wary of is trying to fully automate 
something that is a kind of semiotics driven methodology. So for us, as I said, we we do automate what we can, mm. but there's a limit to it. Absolutely. So in one sense, it's kind of great because semiotics will probably be one of the last holdouts against automation. You really need to have that sort of human factor, mm. as well as local market knowledge about whatever you're investigating. So if there's a project that requires expertise about what's happening in skin care in Thailand, I would never claim to have the market knowledge to do that. So we work with a really strong network of people mm. who can help us in that way. Yeah, yeah. That's just something to really, I guess, keep in mind, because I think there are slightly more shortcut ways of doing it that we're always a bit skeptical. It's of. almost like you bring your own luggage with you. And exactly. Like, and, and you always, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then in terms of cultural shifts that are interesting, this might not be mind-blowing for anybody, but I think we're in a period of really figuring out how to work sustainability into our lives in a realistic way. Not necessarily everywhere, but definitely for a while it was really kind of extreme choices. Mm -hmm. um, and now that it's much more part of mainstream consciousness, it's realistic ways to to look after yourself and the planet without, you know, having to quit your job and mm. live in a cabin in the woods. So that's something that I'm really looking forward to seeing how it develops. I think a lot of airlines are taking notice as well, because with things like flight shaming recently, mm. you know, realistically, people will still need to fly. And I know um, United, for example, says, you know, you don't hate flying, you hate fuel, mm. um, which I think is absolutely true. Yeah. So looking into alternatives to that, it's a really exciting time where, um, basically finding that balance, but still looking after the planet. Um, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. I think we're kind of on the verge of, of a big disruption. So I it's exciting. Change, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Buses for Breakfast are hosted by me and produced by Studio Roo. If you like our show and want more exciting stories like this, don't forget to follow us. You can get all episodes for free on any of your preferred podcast services.